Welcome back to season three of the podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Blackwood. As many of you know, I wrote my autobiography as a survivor of human trafficking called Custom Justice. But if you didn't know, you do now. Keeping in line with that, this entire season has been focused on interviewing people who did or plan to write about their own experiences as trauma survivors and how they overcame their past. If that sounds like you, reach out. We can talk about having you on the show, too. As much as we all hate commercials, they are a necessary evil these days. This is what keeps the show on the air. You can also show support by purchasing one of my many books or donating through PayPal. You can find the links to either option in the podcast description. As always, a portion of the proceeds do go to local organizations that help fight human trafficking. I would also like to take a moment to wish a happy early birthday to my son, who is turning 23 years old on the 31st of this month, just just a couple of days away. Happy birthday, Ethan. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Blackwood. You can probably tell at this point that I'm starting to feel better. The last week episode, I sounded a little stuffy, uh, but I'm happy to be back to me again. This week, I have an incredible person on the podcast with me. His name is Peter George, and he has got some really incredible information for anybody out there that's looking to become a public speaker. But he's also had to overcome a lot of his own stuff to be able to make this happen for himself. So I'm excited to introduce Peter George on the episode and to have him tell us his story. Hi, Amanda. It's a pleasure to be here. How are you today? Fantastic. and very excited to get to know you. Uh, Peter, where are you originally from? Where'd you Rhode Island. Oh, it's a lovely area, but super bitter cold in the winter, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I I love the cold. So we think being in Southern New England is too far South. No. (laughs) We're actually going to retire further North like Maine. Oh my goodness. My husband was stationed in Maine when he was in the Navy and uh, he said he'd never want to go back. It's one of only two States I've never been to. Beautiful state. Yeah. Uh, So tell us a little bit about your background. What kind of trauma stuff did you have to overcome to be able to do what it is that you're doing now? I grew up with a lisp and a stutter. And the last thing I ever wanted to do in life was communicate with people. I became very adept at keeping my mouth shut. I really only spoke to family and close friends, but in school and other places, In public, I wouldn't open my mouth. I did not want to speak. I was afraid I would stutter over things. Uh, And and so I learned to do that well. And growing up in a city, I grew up in Providence, the capital of Rhode Island, and great place to grow up. But still, when you're nine years old, if you have a lisp and a stutter, it could be traumatic. Thankfully, it wasn't. I became fairly adept at sports, playing baseball, football, and hockey. So I was playing sports all year round. And if you were decent in sports, you didn't get picked on. So my life as a child was not bad, where a lot of people say, oh, that must have been horrendous growing up that way. It really wasn't, but still, it was different from most other kids. Yet by the time I got to high school through therapy and a few other things, my lisp and stutter had all but subsided. They're still around. They rear their ugly heads every once in a while, (laughs) but through high school, I still didn't want to communicate because that's what I'd gotten used to. I grew up very shy and introverted and still shy and introverted to this day. Yet when I got to the business world directly out of school, 
all of a sudden I realized I had to present. Mm -hmm. So I, so I did what anybody else would do at the time, I believe. And that was, I bought cassettes and that's kind of dating myself, but I bought cassettes and listened to them in the car and tried to get better. And then I learned that there was a Dale Carnegie training that had group training uh, that had just opened up in Boston. So I went to that and then I transferred in my company and uh, got help down in the city one-on-one, -on -one, New York City, one-on-one. -on -one. And that was a tremendous difference. That's what made all the difference. Wow. And from there, I went out on my own. And when I did my own company, every time I spoke, our revenue increased, took a bump. Ooh. So my wife, who was my partner, said, keep doing that. Keep going out there and speaking. And I did. And that was about 36 years ago. Oh, my goodness. What helped you to be able to move beyond that? Was it just listening to the books and, and, and reading and devouring all these books? Well, when I got the help, that the books helped. But when I got the personal help, whether it was the initial group training or the one-on-one -on -one training, the one-on-one -on -one training was fantastic. And yeah. I, I credit that person with a lot of my success. And then it was just working on it like any other part of business or life that you want to excel at. It was working on it and it came back, you know, and when you think of uh, people like Warren Buffett, you know, he's done okay for himself in his lifetime. <laughs> he says, if you want to increase your value to yourself, your career and your company, learn to be a better communicator. And he's right. Do you think a lot more of our, our issues in today's world could be solved by proper communication? Yeah, it's funny. They call public speaking, leadership, a lot of things like that. They call it soft skills. And I think public speaking is a power skill because it can separate you from your competition, whether that's someone competing for the sales like you are or someone competing for the same job as you are within your company. So if you go out and become more effective at communications, it's no longer a soft skill. It is your power skill. And they always said, well, you can't put a number on that. But Siemens Technology in England did. They did a, a study and came up with the number 14%. That 14% of your overall revenue is probably lost through poor communications. Wow. So you, when I go to a large company and we're talking about this, and they said, well, how are we going to see if we get a return on our investment? I said, well, let's take Siemens number. 14%. You don't have to tell me what you have for revenue, but do the math. My word. And then my fee doesn't seem all that bad. <laughs> so when you were a kid, you didn't want to be, you know, in the, this kind of a role. Did you have completely different aspirations for your life or what you wanted to be when you grew up? Completely. I wanted to be my dad. My dad was a firefighter in Providence. And I wanted to be him. So like a lot of little boys want to be their dad. A lot of little boys want to be firefighters. Well, I had them all in one person. And that's what I aspired to do. I did not want to go to college. I did not want to do anything else. I wanted to be a firefighter. Wow. Was it tough having to give up that dream? No. No. <laughs> no. My father showed me in a heartbeat. why, I, And my father loved being a firefighter. And he came from a poor family, and so it gave him a solid career. And yeah. though the income wasn't great, it was consistent income and let him raise a family. But 
he showed me in very short order that I did not want to become a firefighter. And he was right. So truthfully, Amanda, what I do now is he helped people in his way, which I thought is what I wanted to do to help people. And I learned that wasn't for me. So now I help people in my way. That is amazing. I love that. He still inspires you, even though you didn't follow in his perfect footsteps. Uh, to this day, he died more than 30 years ago, and he is still inspiring me today. Wow. I bet he was really proud of you for everything that you accomplished. <laughs> yeah, for the most part. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I probably wasn't, not that I probably wasn't, I know for a fact that in my younger years when I was striving to accomplish certain things in business, I probably wasn't the nicest person walking the planet. <laughs> and I don't think that sat well with him. Huh. I, I could see how that would have been slightly disappointing. I'm sure he never lost a moment of love for you, though. <laughs> I don't think so, no. Yeah, dads are good like that. Doesn't matter what's going on between you, they're always going to love you. And he was, a he was a terrific dad. That's awesome. Tell me about your book. My book, The Captivating Public Speaker, is actually my public speaking training put in book form. So if you read that book cover to cover, you're going to see exactly how I train speakers whether it's professional speakers, executives who have to speak, entrepreneurs who might speak either in corporations or out in the community, whoever has to use that speaking ability, it takes them right through that course. And the way I wrote it, you can read it cover to cover and experience that. Or if you said, I really want to work on my voice first, you can hop right to that chapter and work on your voice. So if you wanted to work on your body language only, you could hop right to that chapter. So it's My modular and, and set up. That seems really easy. I think so. And people say that, that it's well laid out and it's won three awards so far. And in May, I'm going to London because they'll be announcing the International Book of the Year. And I am one of 11 finalists. So. Oh, my uh, gosh. We'll, yeah. So there's a black tie affair in May that I'll be going to to see if. I won the International Book of the Year. Oh, my gosh. This is amazing. I hope you get it. Well, thank you. That would be either, fantastic. Either way, it's pretty cool. <laughs> so it's called The Captivating uh, Public Speaker, Engage, mm -hmm. Impact, and Inspire Your Audience Every Time by Peter George. And just so you're aware, my uh, copy will be here on uh, Saturday. Um, I'm excited to get a copy for the people who follow me regularly. They're aware that my, one of my greatest aspirations is being a public speaker. And it doesn't sound like it at the moment. I'm kind of stumbling over my words, but I've been sick. Uh, <laughs> so stumbling yeah, over your good. words is fine. <laughs> we all do it at some point, right? Exactly. <laughs> and I think a lot of it is realizing that we are human and we do make those mistakes. That's how people are going to, um, relate to us more we don't have really, to be perfect no no one wants perfection first of all you're not going to achieve it but no one wants people to strive for perfection because that's not being in the moment right. that's not there to help them that's worrying about yourself yeah right right that's very powerful so they can get the book they can go through this entire process if they still decided that they wanted to 
reach out to you for more information. Do you have coaching classes and stuff that you offer? I do. And I work one-on-one with people every so often. I'll be doing one later this year. I'll have a, a public workshop limited to only 10 people here in Rhode Island. But other than that, I work with people one-on-one and I work with them one-on-one all over the world. If they're local within like a hundred miles of Rhode Island, we meet personally. Other than that, we meet on Zoom. And I have clients in China, Australia, the Netherlands, so all over the world. Oh, my gosh. That is amazing. How, why did you decide that this was your life's aspiration? This is what you wanted to do. <laughs> the speaking of the coaching side. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the speaking side because I learned I could help people. I, I learned that people are trying to achieve something and I could help them do that with not speaking to inform them, but speaking to transform them, making sure they left differently than when they walked in, not just with motivation or inspiration, but with actionable steps. And that's a pretty cool thing to do in life when you can help people. And I mean, I'm 64, I'll be 65 in a few months. And a lot of my clients are in their, some in their late twenties, some in their early thirties, I won't live long enough to see them when they're at the end of their careers and see what they've accomplished and built for themselves. But I know I've d- had a part in it. Yeah. And I I really respect that that honor because that's exactly what it is. And so when it comes to speaking and I can do that great. When if it's one-on-one coaching and I can do that also great. But the way the coaching came up about was about 18 years ago, and I had been speaking on stage about 18 years at that time. So about halfway through, people started saying to me, I, I love how you do this. Why did you do it that way? Why did you put the words this way instead of what you hear most often? Why did you do whatever? I'd really like to learn that. And I would explain it to them. And while doing that, I realized, wow, I really like this too. Again, I'm helping people. But this time, instead of the audience, it's the actual speakers. But it's still yeah. helping people. Very cool. I did say that you've got Ivan Meisner doing the um, the foreword in your book. Why did you ask Ivan Meisner to do this? Well, for those of you who aren't familiar with Dr. Ivan Meisner, if you're familiar with BNI, but uh, Business Network International, he's the founder. This is an organization that's all over the world, comprised of small businesses usually, but it can be salespeople and larger businesses as well, all for the idea of helping with one another build their businesses through referrals. And I'd been part of that organization for 17 years, and I appreciated what it helped me do, what it helped me accomplish, and I always respected him, and he is a tremendous storyteller, one of the best I've ever heard. So when it came time to write my book, I immediately thought of him and asked him if he would write the forward. And he graciously said yes. And I'm so appreciative that he did. That's awesome. As soon as I saw his name on there, it's like, is that the one? And I looked to see. uh, So I'm on the Amazon page. And I looked to see if it was the Dr. Ivan Meisner I was thinking it was. And it's like, that is exactly who that is. That's interesting. I love that connection. I imagine you've had some pretty incredible connections. Do you have um, people out there that are doing public speaking now that that you're allowed to talk about? 
I can talk about them generally. I, I don't speak about them specifically. Okay. Um, I figure that's you... their place. Well, yeah, <laughs> that totally <laughs> makes sense. Uh, in general, what do you find that they typically are more inclined to speak about when they do speak? Most of mine are speaking about the corporate world in one fashion or another. It could be sales. It could be leadership, a few different things. I also have people who speak to the community. For instance, one speaker uh, who was inspired because of his brother's death uh, speaks to high school students. Wow. And uh, so, and that's kind of unusual for me, but he's one I talk about quite often because of why he speaks. And it, it's just inspiring. That is pretty amazing. That's a tough thing to go through. Yeah. And he's taking it as if I had to witness my brother die. And he did. Then I'm going to make some good out of this. Wow. So I'm looking at some of the bullet points in the description of your book. Uh, some of these are already kind of jumping out at me. One of them is convert nerves into positive energy. How, how would somebody approach even that as an idea? Well, you think about why we're nervous. Our nerves is just adrenaline. Now, saying just adrenaline makes it sound like it's not affecting people. It certainly does. But we think it's a fearful thing going through us. But if you stop and think about things you're really excited about, say roller coasters or jumping out of a plane or whatever it might be, uh, it's the same feeling. We just label, label it differently. So when we're nervous and we feel that feeling, our heart thumping through our chest, blood pressure going up, our, no, our voice cracks a little, our knees get a little weak, we say, oh my God, I'm so afraid. Yet when it's something exciting and we feel that, we're thinking, this is going to be so cool. <laughs> it's how we label it. And everybody's going through that feeling, hopefully, because if you no longer have that feeling, no matter how you label it, if you no longer have that feeling, then stop doing it. As, a, as I have two clients who jump out of planes, two women uh, who jump out of planes. And they both say that the day that feeling's gone is the day I stop jumping. Hmm. I have to have, because that's when you get lackadaisical or you don't double check things, whatever it might be. So you don't want that feeling go to go away. I have clients who come to me or prospects who come to me about being clients. They say, I want this feeling to go away. No, you really don't. We just want to manage it. First of all, you're not afraid of public speaking. Some people clinically are, and that's for psychologists to take care of. But other than that, we're afraid of messing up in front of people. We're afraid <laughs> of embarrassing ourselves. That's what we're afraid of. Or we know that we don't know how to do this well. And we have to get up in front of people and do something we don't know how to do well. Well, right. confidence comes from competence. So once you learn to do it well, you don't have to be an expert at it. You don't have to be the best speaker out there. I'm certainly not. Nowhere close. But once you learn to do it well, then you have confidence to go out there and do it. And don't think about yourself. Think about how you're helping the audience. It's not about us as speakers. It's always about the audience. That leads into another one of the bullet points that I was looking at. How do you connect with your audience before you even begin to speak? Most of us, when we're asked to speak, we get, we're asked for an introduction. Yet we don't give an introduction. We give a bio. 
Peter's done this, Peter's done this, Peter's done this, and Peter's done this. To which the audience often sits there and says, oh, man, that's amazing. So what? What does that have to do with why we're here today? Now, if they say instead, Peter's done this, this, and this, and because of those things that are relevant to why we're here today, you will get this out of it. The audience already understands that they're going to benefit from my experience. And it's not just me speaking. A, a point I make in my book, I was asked to go to a, an event for an organization, and I was excited to go because they had a new CEO. And the CEO was being introduced to the people within the organization for the first time. And before he came out on stage, the word Harvard, as in ha the college, mm -hmm. was used nine times. <laughs> so it's like, okay, we know you're brilliant, but I'm thinking you could have just come out in a crimson sweatshirt with the Harvard logo on the front. That would have sufficed because nothing said about going to Harvard and all the things he accomplished at Harvard had anything to do with why we were there. Wow. It was just making him look brilliant. Like, oh, you're the CEO of a major organization. Odds are you're brilliant. <laughs> we, we didn't need Harvard nine times. So as I wrote in the book, Harvard nine, engagement zero. Right. Right. I, it almost sounds like there's a level of um, uh, self-esteem issue there where he needs the world to understand that he's brilliant before he ever says a word. That could be. And the, and the reason we all, most of us will put in a bio as opposed to an introduction is because we want to have the, the audience understand that we're capable, that we've accomplished things that'll benefit them, that we have credibility. But nothing's more credible than showing someone how you're going to help them. So if I can have the person introduce, introducing me say, Peter's done this, this, and this, that all are relevant to why they're there, and this is why it will help you, they're already in the right mindset, and I haven't gone out and spoken a word yet. If it's just my bio, okay, maybe that gives me some credibility, but it doesn't cause engagement. This is some really good tips. I love Thank you. this. I can't wait to get my hands on the book, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm interested in learning what you think. Yeah. I, this is definitely something that I need in my life in a very big Um, And of course, I, I have this thing for leaving Amazon reviews when I do read a book that belongs to and was written by one of my guests on my podcast. Um and I'm looking at some of the reviews. You've got some really good reviews here. Do you have a favorite one? Even if it's just something that somebody told you. Uh, you know, I've, I've never looked at them that way. I, I, I appreciate what people have written. I really do. But I appreciate more that they took the time to write it than what they actually wrote. And most of my reviews, if not all of them, are fours and fives. Right. So I, I am appreciative of it, but I've never looked at it that, wow, this struck me. Or I, again, look at it more that I appreciate they took the time because, again, it's about them, not me. It's so selfless of you. I, I really admire that. That's, you really are doing a lot to help people. Well, yeah, and that's what I strive to do. But <laughs> it's, it's, it's selfless to a degree. 
but that attitude also puts money in my bank. So how selfless is it all? You know, so. <laughs> so and um, honest. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's authentic. I really want to help people. Otherwise, I'd probably be doing something else for a living. But I love doing this because ultimately it helps others. And it is about them. And I know what it's like. I don't write reviews all the time on Amazon when I buy something. But when something strikes me, I do. And when that happens on the other end and someone does that for me, I really appreciate it. Very cool. Do you have any portion of your book that you would be willing to read for the audience? Um, you know, I don't have a book right near me. <laughs> that is okay not a problem um <clears throat> we can always skip past this part and i can edit this stuff out too um if you have a part that you would like me to read on the episode i can later so, yeah i'm good at that you know when when you're reading it if you pick find something that mm -hmm. you like and you want to put it in there that'd be great okay cool well, i think it would be more authentic coming from you well, thank you for that. I, I appreciate that. I might actually just not edit this out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that way I can show people what it is that I found to be impactful and yeah, to challenge great. them to find their own. Yep. Insert here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right here. <laughs> uh, there's always one last question that I ask my guests before I let them go. And it's my favorite question every time. What's one thing that you love about yourself that's not related to your physical appearance? Tenacity. I, I would too. second that. Yeah, it's and, and they're kind of built in. It's tenacity and loyalty. People, my friends tell me I'm extremely loyal. And uh, tenacity that once I want to achieve something, it uh, doesn't mean I achieve everything, but I work at it till it's absolutely impossible not to achieve it. That's fantastic. That's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> Peter, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on my podcast. I think you're just amazing. I can't wait to get my hands on your book this Saturday. Um, and I'm going to be binge reading all weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me, Amanda. It's been a, uh, a lot of fun. You're a great host. People don't realize how <laughs> difficult that can be to be a host on a podcast and you're excellent at it. You made this no. extremely fun and enjoyable. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I don't get a lot of feedback on that end. <laughs> you should, you should <laughs> have a wonderful afternoon. And if you have any other books coming out in the future, reach out to me and I'll have you on the podcast again. This was fun. Thank you. Yeah. I have a couple of ideas that I'm working on for two other books. Ooh, happy to hear that. Yeah. Very cool. As I was going through Peter George's book, I did find something that really spoke to me the second I randomly opened the book to chapter eight. Hone your delivery. Your audience deserves it. You deserve it. This really speaks to me. I'm going to read a little bit here and maybe you can figure out why. It's first thing in the morning on the longest day of the conference. As I'm getting a cup of tea, the man standing next to me suddenly says, I don't need you. Excuse me? I reply, somewhat baffled. I don't need you. I'm sorry, but you have me at a loss. I'm not sure what you mean. I see your name badge and that you're a public speaking coach. Yes, yes I am. Well, I don't need you because I know what I'm talking about, and I have the guts to get up in front of people. I don't prepare. 
I just get up there and wing it, and everyone tells me that I do a great job. Well, that's awesome. I'm sure you're a terrific speaker. Hopefully, I'll have the opportunity to see you speak someday. Please excuse me. I'm going to go find a seat. Enjoy the conference. I thought about that brief conversation for a while. At first blush, I had no reason to doubt the man. He very well could have been an excellent speaker. But there was one thing he said that I couldn't get off my mind. He wings his talks. Is it possible to wing a concise, cohesive, and focused talk? Yes. Is it probable? No. Furthermore, winging it is disrespectful to your audience and a disservice to yourself and your success. In what other aspects of your life do you expect to succeed by winging it? Think of it this way. Winging a talk is like presenting a first draft. Would you submit the first draft of a critical report to your boss? I doubt it. Would you respond to a call for speakers by sending the first draft of your proposal? I don't think you would. Would you send a publishing company the first draft of a proposed article? Of course not. Then don't settle for delivering first drafts when presenting. Embrace rehearsing. Throughout my years of coaching, I've heard various reasons why people don't want to rehearse. Some include, when I rehearse, I don't feel authentic on stage. When I rehearse, I sound rehearsed. People tell me that my presentations are so much better when I speak off the cuff than when I rehearse. Making such statements is simply an attempt to rationalize not making the effort to rehearse. Or perhaps those who make those excuses don't realize the value rehearsing offers both themselves and their audiences, yet we see and understand its benefits in other professions. Take professional actors, musicians, dancers, for instance. They all rehearse, and they rehearse consistently. Professional athletes rehearse almost daily. They just call it practice. The military, police, firefighters, they rehearse. They call it training or drilling. And it's not only the pros. Dance teams consist of five-year-olds rehearse. Chorus choir, church choirs rehearse. School athletic teams practice. Because you strive to perform consistent, confidently and at a high level, rehearsing is crucial to your success. As basketball star Steve Nash said, you only have to rely on your preparation. You've got to really be passionate and try to prepare more than anyone else and put yourself in a position to succeed. When the moment comes, you've got to enjoy, relax, breathe, and rely on your preparation so that you can perform and not be anxious or filled with doubt. Remember, when you speak in front of others, your preparation credibility are often on the line. But more importantly, so is your audience members' time and their opportunity to walk away with knowledge, inspiration, or rather benefits. The five R's of rehearsing. Please make no mistake about it, rehearsing is essential. And how you rehearse is just as important. So let's look at the five R's of rehearsing. Now, just a side note here, I'm not going to go into full details of these. I'm just going to let you know what they are and kind of give you the basic overview of them. I don't want to give away all the details of this fabulous book. Uh, once again, this is called The Captivating Public Speaker. Engage, impact, and inspire your audience every time. Written by Peter George. So the first R is rehearse. There are many ways to rehearse a talk. So like every other part of this book, follow these guidelines. And then if you like, develop a method that works best for you. 
Number two is read out loud. This is exactly what I'm doing right now, folks, and I did not read this part in advance. So practicing your reading out loud really does help you to enunciate your words and to be prepared for what it is that you're doing. I'm assuming that like most speakers, you read through your talk after creating it. In any case, be sure to reread it. This provides you with an additional opportunity to catch anything you'd like to add, delete, or revise. The key here is to read your entire talk out loud. By doing so, you're more likely to determine if the words and sentences flow well, find words or phrases that you have difficulty saying, and get a rough estimate of how long your talk is. So this is one of my own tricks. I use an audio recorder and read through my talks several times into my audio recorder. And then I play it repeatedly while I'm going out for a walk or a grocery shopping or any other meaningful task where I have that opportunity to do that. Now, this part isn't in the book. This is literally what I personally do. Okay. Record. Your own most helpful tool known to speakers, obviously I didn't read ahead, <laughs> is your phone. Its video recording capabilities make rehearsing easier and more effective than ever before. Once you've rehearsed your talk out loud several times, prop up your phone, hit record, and rehearse for the camera. When you're done, it's time to review. Number three is review. This is the part you might not have expected. When you review the recordings of your rehearsals, you'll check them three times in three different ways. I'm going to let the book tell you what those are, but man, this is... This guy's smart, I'm telling you guys. Number four, revise. Once you've had all your notes, make any necessary revisions to your content and delivery. Let me tell you, I can listen to one of my own talks on my phone recorder while I'm grocery shopping. I can listen to that for like the, the 50th time and still make revisions. This is absolutely true. If you're going to be a public speaker, make sure you're paying attention to revisions. Number five, repeat. <laughs> Again, of course, I'm not reading ahead. Um, repeat the process once you've made your edits and are satisfied with each part of your talk. Guys, this book is incredible. Um, I have a public speaking event coming up here in the next couple of weeks, and I'm looking forward to going through Peter George's book, The Captivating Public Speaker, before this event happens. I absolutely know without a doubt because of his book and because of his interview, I will be a better public speaker. And you could be too. Grab his book. Um, he mentioned earlier where you could grab it, but I got mine off of Amazon. If you've enjoyed tonight's episode, please make sure you check out the episode description. There you're going to find links on how you can learn more about this guest, links to connect with them on social media, and how to support the podcast. Remember, I don't get paid to do this. My boss is a bit tight-fisted, but I can say that I work for myself. In short, this show really is all about the guest. If you've enjoyed their interview, please feel free to let them know. You can also tune into my other podcast, Growth from Darkness, which is co-hosted by a lovely lady from Australia. We talk about what trauma responses are and healthy ways to move beyond the past. For more information, just go to growthfromdarkness.com.